You're listening to the All Truth is God's Truth program. In God's creation, all truth belongs to Him. Therefore, as Christians, we must connect all truth back to our triune God in light of His inerrant Word and His creating, sustaining, and redeeming work. I'm your host, Jared Moore. Uh, one of the most freeing things about Jesus is that he frees you from uh, the commandments of men. Uh, today we're looking at uh, weak consciences are more important than our complete freedom. Uh, continuing our study on conscience, uh, we're in Romans 14 this morning. And um, I want to remind you that what we've learned concerning our consciences is, is that it's this inner court in our hearts and it holds us accountable to what we believe concerning right and wrong, holds us accountable to what we believe concerning right and wrong. But your conscience is only as good as the information it is judging you by. And so if you don't inform your conscience with Scripture, by the Holy Spirit applying the Word to you, then you're not going to feel bad for things. right? If you do something evil, if you commit heinous sin, you're only going to feel bad for that or convicted by your conscience if indeed you have informed your conscience that something is wrong. And so looking at God's Word today particularly, we're talking about matters of conscience that are beyond the Bible. Right? Matters of conscience that are beyond the Bible. Like concerning eating, concerning... uh, Old Testament feast days, whether or not as a Christian you can still celebrate things, even though they are fulfilled in Christ. And these were debates that that they had there in the first century. Christians saved out of Judaism, Christians saved out of paganism. And um, they still wanted to hold on to the things they used to celebrate. And so there were these debates that arose... Some believed that they were free, you know, they had, all this had been fulfilled in Jesus, so we don't have to, to celebrate or observe the Old Testament feast days, which is the, the biblical view, right? You are, you are completely free from all that has been fulfilled in Christ. I mean, for example, that's why we don't observe the Sabbath in the, in the Old Testament. The Sabbath was on Saturday. We celebrate the Lord's Day, which is on Sunday. Because we believe Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. So we come together to celebrate the resurrected Christ every Sunday. The Lord's Day. To where it's not an optional, you know, we're not throwing darts at a calendar and picking a day to worship. We believe Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. So we gather on Sunday. Sunday is the Lord's Day. That's just one example. But there are many to consider in... We need to be careful concerning our consciences that we don't use our consciences to govern everybody else. Just because you believe something is sin doesn't mean, and you know, we're talking about something beyond the Bible. If something, if you believe something is sin that is beyond Scripture, in other words, the Bible doesn't say it's sin, but you believe it's sin, it doesn't mean that you can just require everybody else to submit to your conscience. Because then you are sinning. By forcing everybody to bow down to your conscience. And on the flip side of that, the person who has a freer conscience should not judge those 
who aren't as free. Particularly, we're talking about the mature brother or sister in Christ. They are required to limit their freedom when they're around their brothers and sisters who have weaker consciences. And so, for example, if you think that eating pecan pie is a sin, which you're crazy if you do, but if you do, and I'm around you, then because I love you, I will limit my freedom and not eat pecan pie around you or offer you any. But when I'm not around you, I don't have to bow to your conscience any longer. I'm going to submit to my own. And there, there will be pecan pie and coffee. And it's delicious. Amen. Amen. But if you look in Romans 14, we're going to go through this whole chapter. And as far as context... The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is a comprehensive description of salvation. And then verses 12, or chapters 12 through 16 talk about how you live as a result of being saved, right? So as a result of being saved, this is part of how you live. Even though you're free in Christ, because you love your brother or sister in Christ, you need to limit your freedom whenever you're around them. But when you're not around them, you don't have to limit your freedom any longer. And so verses 1 through 12... Weak Christians' consciences are more important than our complete freedom because first, Christ is the Lord of their consciences, not us. So look at verses 1 through 12. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Verse 5. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God... For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue confess, shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So you see the emphasis that Christ is the Lord of their consciences, not us. In verse 1, if a Christian is weak in the faith, he should be welcomed as a brother instead of being condemned because his conscience is weak. Now, growing up... Oftentimes, the one who is presented as mature was the person who had extra regulations on their life beyond Scripture. In other words, they they wouldn't, you know, they they wouldn't go to, um, you know, they wouldn't go to the gas station um, because they 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 had things in there that they disagree with. They wouldn't go buy anything from that gas station, or they wouldn't go to this particular grocery store because they sold things that they disagreed with. Or And by the way, it's impossible to live in this world and not buy from somebody something who's participating in evil with your money. I mean, it's just impossible. 
Um, but folks would, would limit that, and, and it was often presented as, I'm holier than you are, because, look, look, I don't even shop at these places, or I don't buy anything from these people. And um, what Paul is saying is that the person who adds things to the Word of God, extra stipulations, is not the stronger brother. He says he's weaker. He's not enjoying the freedom that he has in Christ from the commandments of men. And that includes your own commandments. right? Whether the commandments come from somebody else or they come from you, if they're not found in Scripture, then they are beyond the Bible. And so you're adding to the Word of the Bible. You're making it stricter on yourself than the Bible does. And so we need to enjoy our freedom in Christ. And concerning those who are weak, who have these extra stipulations in their lives... We need to accept them as our brothers and sisters in Christ instead of wounding their consciences through peer pressure. In other words, trying to get them to violate their conscience. So again, let's say someone believes it's sinful to eat pecan pie. You wouldn't be saying, oh, but it's so good. It's so delicious. It's like heaven on a fork. Um you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be trying to get him or her to violate their conscience. Now, you would try to inform their conscience. In other words, give them the truth. Ask things like, well, where does the Bible teach this? Why do you feel this way? Why do you believe that this is sinful? Now, see, that's different. You're trying to inform their conscience because that's the way. You don't, you don't ever want someone, you don't ever want to be someone who tries to get someone to disobey their conscience even when their conscience is wrong. If they believe something is wrong, then it's wrong for them. And we're going to get into that. That's what the Apostle Paul says here. If you believe something is sinful for you to do or to think or to believe, and it's something beyond Scripture, then it is sin for you. It is sinful for you. It is sinful for us to disobey our consciences even when our consciences are wrongly informed. You should never disobey your conscience, ever. One, because God has given you the Holy Spirit to inform your conscience. And so if you tell it to be quiet about this subject over here, it's not like you can compartmentalize telling your conscience to be quiet. If you tell it to be quiet about pecan pie, it's going to be quiet about everything else. Right? If you sear your conscience, tell it to be quiet, it's going to be quiet on other things. It's not just going to be quiet about pecan pie. Right? It's going to be quiet about everything. And so we should always submit to our conscience. But we need to better inform our consciences. It's similar to when you get married. And overnight, literally, from one hour to the next, something you've been told your whole upbringing is sinful, now all of a sudden it's not. Overnight, from one hour to the next. Better inform your conscience, right? And so that's the, that's the difference. And so in verse 1, a Christian is weak in the faith due to having a more sensitive conscience, but he should be welcomed as a brother by those who are mature. So Paul says not to argue with brothers and sisters over their weak consciences. Instead, welcome them. And in verse 2, you know, some Christians believe they can eat anything, while weak Christians believe you cannot eat meat, only vegetables. 
And so probably what he's referring to is those who were saved out of Judaism. And so in Judaism, right, you, there were things that were clean and things that were unclean, ultimately to distinguish Israel from the surrounding nations. Like God says, you're my peculiar, special people. You're not going to dress like the surrounding nations. You're not going to worship like them. You're not going to eat like them. You're even going to have a mark on your body that says you are a Yahweh worshiper concerning circumcision. Right? I mean, he distinguished Israel from all the surrounding nations. And so when people, when Jews were saved and brought to faith in Christ, all those things are fulfilled in Jesus. However, literally, they probably have this memorized. Literally, every, every week, their schedule, everything, their lives literally centered around these Jewish feast days and concerning how they ate. And now their entire diet has to change. Most of you, when you got saved, your diet did not change. Right? But imagine having to change your diet, turning your diet upside down. Something you've been told was unclean, similar to marriage. Something you told was unclean and wrong to do. Now all of a sudden, overnight, it's no longer wrong. And so you see this happening here. And so... Now, let me be clear about what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about those who are rejecting Christ. He's talking about those who are still wanting to participate in these Old Testament rituals while believing that Christ has fulfilled them. Right Now, the, the person who's truly free realizes because Christ has fulfilled them, we no longer have to participate in them. We are free in Christ from those rituals. In other words, we're free to eat anything. And it seemed that they were adding such stipulations. You could still eat meat in the Old Testament. You couldn't eat pork. There were certain things you could not eat, but you could eat meat. Well, these people were saying, well, we're not going to eat any meat. Just to make sure that we're not disobedient to God. We're not only going to reject the things that are unclean. We're going to reject all meat. Now, look, if you, if you don't want to eat meat because you believe it's sinful to eat it, you're free in Christ not to. And so if I'm a stronger brother, when I'm around you, I'm not going to say, oh, that steak is so good. Have you ever, did you come to our Sunday school party where Jerry brought these inch-thick steaks that were a pound? I, they had to be a pound. They were huge. I thought we were supposed to get the whole thing. But then I saw the women cutting them like in half and <laughs> everything. But I had one on my plate for real. It was this big. And it was delicious. It was wonderful. Um, but co concerning eating those things, I mean, you, if, if you had a weaker brother, you wouldn't be inviting him or her to this party. Hey, come try. Oh, did you have that steak? Oh, it's so delicious, wonderful. You wouldn't be trying to tempt them to go against their conscience, even though they're wrong. Their, their conscience is misinformed. But is it sinful to abstain from eating meat? No. So it's not sinful. Is it, is it sinful to still participate in the Old Testament Jewish customs if you believe those are fulfilled in Christ. No, it's not sinful. You don't realize your full freedom in Christ, but it's not sinful. And so they're not participating in sin by doing these things, so we don't want to tempt them to go against their conscience, even though we should seek to persuade them with Scripture. You, do, you, know, you don't realize how free you are. You know, why are you abstaining from something that God doesn't say to abstain from any longer? I mean, if you look in Acts chapter 10, there's this sheet coming down from heaven. It's got unclean animals in it. 
And Peter hears a voice, rise, kill, and eat. And he says, Lord, I've never e eaten anything unclean. And he says, what God, has, God says to him, what God has cleaned, don't you call unclean. And it was ultimately pointing to that the Gentiles can receive the gospel because then he went to Cornelius as the first Gentile convert in the New Testament in Acts chapter 10. And he goes to him and he preaches the gospel and he sees the whole household filled with the Holy Spirit and saved and baptized. And so that unclean, clean distinction by God cleansing those animals, he's saying that the gospel has went to the Gentiles, those who eat these animals. Now you're no longer distinguished by what you eat. You're distinguished by whether or not you have the Holy Spirit. Whether or not you're saved. That's ultimately what distinguishes us from the world now. Not what we eat, but how we live. Concerning righteousness, concerning holiness. And so... You know, they, they were probably adding to the law, but he says in verse 2 that the weaker Christian is not the Christian who enjoys his freedom in Christ and chooses to eat meat. No, the weak Christian is the one who puts more regulations on himself than Scripture does. And in verse 3, the Christian who eats meat should not despise the Christian who doesn't. And the Christian who doesn't eat meat should not judge the Christian who does. You know, Christians are supposed to hold one another accountable to Scripture, but not hold one another accountable to our consciences. You know, at one church I served, we were doing a men's Bible study at um, a Buffalo Wild Wings. Y'all know, Buff know Buffalo Wild Wings? <clears throat> so it's a restaurant, but it does have a bar in there. We were not sitting at the bar. We were not drinking alcohol. We were just men getting together at a restaurant and having a Bible study. Well, one of my older... Uh, saints in the church came to me and he's like, I don't think, I don't think y'all, I think it's setting a bad example for y'all to be eating at that place. And I asked him if he, he, to have a Bible study at that place. And the thing was, this fella actually would go to that restaurant to eat. Um, and so, look, that, that's just an extra standard beyond Scripture. Can I, can I just be frank with y'all? It would be wonderful if we would have a Bible study at the local bar here. Let's go in there and sit down with the Word of God and open it and study Scripture together. That'd be awesome. It'd be wonderful. Maybe we'll see some folks come to know the Lord. But it was not wrong for that fella to feel that way, but when he started saying, the whole church has to submit to my view on this, that's when you get into exactly what Paul is saying here. There was another instance in uh, my home church where they were voting on, I don't know why they voted on this, it's probably because they're Baptists, you vote on everything, right? But, uh, but they were voting on what gift to give the pastor for, it was for his birthday or for Christmas or pastor appreciation, but it was gift cards. And a guy stood up and said, you know, they were going to give a gift card to one of the local restaurants that also served alcohol. And he stood up and he said, I don't think we need to be giving a gift card to the pastor at a restaurant where they serve alcohol. And see, this fellow had been saved. He was, a, he was a drunk. Came to the Lord and so he was really convicted. So it makes sense that he would feel that way. But it, what doesn't make sense is then forcing the whole church to bow to his conscience. 
Now see, that fellow probably thought he was the stronger brother by forcing everybody else to submit to his conscience. But what Paul is saying is, no, he's the weaker brother. He's the weaker brother. Anybody who adds stipulations to the Bible and demands that you submit to it is not the stronger brother. It's the weaker brother. It's the weaker brother. And again, it's fine if you feel that this is sin. But when we start holding people accountable to our consciences, we sin. We sin. Or when we start judging other Christians, not based on Scripture, but based on how we feel, our consciences, then we sin. And so we cannot hold, in verse 4, other Christians accountable to our opinions, to our consciences, when that Christian belongs to God. We are not one another's masters, but all Christians belong to God. He is our master. You know, in verse 5, some Christians value one day above another, while others value all days the same. Again, he's probably talking about Judaism. You know, in Leviticus 23, I believe there are eight uh, different days that are emphasized in Leviticus 23, and there's actually more uh, that the Jews practice beyond Leviticus 23. But there's eight mentioned in Leviticus 23. Uh, the Sabbath, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles. And the thing is, all of these are fulfilled in Christ. For example, Jesus is the true Sabbath rest. He is our rest. Um, and we, we, don't, we don't practice the Sabbath here in our confession. It is the Lord's Day where this day is distinguished from other days in the sense that you come together and worship acts of mercy. It's similar to the Sabbath, but it is not the same. We do not forbid working, for example, on the Sabbath. Two, Christ is the Passover sacrifice for us. In other words, what the Passover in the Old Testament represented, Christ actually is. So that's what we focus on. He is our unleavened bread. He is the first fruits of God. He is the provision of God. He is our perfect rest. He is the atonement. He is God with us, tabernacling with us. So he fulfills all those feasts. Now, if you want to observe those feasts in the Old Testament as fulfilled in Christ, you're freeing Christ to. But the apostles didn't. The New Testament church didn't. And Paul here is saying that the weaker brother are the ones who did. And so, but you should follow your conscience. But you should also be, realize how free you are in Christ. But then Paul tells that each Christian should be fully convinced in his own mind. So it's very interesting. He's saying you submit to your conscience. You should be convinced in your own mind concerning what you believe is right and wrong. And you should follow your conscience. As informed by the Holy Spirit with Scripture. And the purpose is to guide and direct us. And so when, whatever a Christian believes, his conscience will judge him based on that truth. And if a Christian believes a certain day is above another, his conscience will hold him accountable to it. And if not, it won't. In verse 6, the Christian who honors a day honors it to the Lord, his master. The Christian who eats meat honors the Lord, for he eats with thanksgiving. The one who doesn't eat meat also honors the Lord, for he eats with thanksgiving. Because thankfulness is commanded not to eat meat or not to... Abstain. Right? Thankfulness is commanded. 
So that's what's most important. What Scripture commands, not whether or not you eat meat or don't. And so it makes not... Y'all could see how this could split Baptist churches up, right? You can imagine, you know, we are the, we're the meat-eating Baptists and, you know, we are the... They'll put it on their church, but what they'll, what they'll call it is New Hope Meat-Eating Baptist. You know, because the old hope, non-meat-eating, are down the street. In verses 7 through 9, none of us live or die to ourselves. We're accountable to God. We belong to God. He owns all of us. This is why Christ came, lived, and died. And so we need to realize that every Christian is ultimately submitting to Christ's conscience. That is the conscience that we must submit to above even our own. That is the one that the church must submit to. And what is Christ's conscience? Scripture. The Bible. That is Jesus' conscience. That is what we must submit to, the inerrant, infallible Word of God. And everything else, we need to submit to our own conscience and not demand that others bow to our consciences. In verse 10, he says, you know, if you believe that Jesus is Lord and we're not, why do we judge other Christians or despise other Christians based on our own consciences? Christ's opinion is the only one that matters, not ours. Therefore, we can hold one another accountable to Scripture, not to our consciences, and we can only hold one another accountable to the conscience of Christ. Paul then quotes Isaiah 45, 23 in verse 11, which says, To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. And in verse 12, each of us individually will give an account of himself to God. We will not give an account of ourselves to anyone else, so it makes no sense for me to submit to your conscience, bow down to your conscience, because you're not going to hold my hand on judgment day. You're not going to be there with me, and I'm not going to be there with you. Right? You're going to stand before each of us individually are going to stand before Jesus Christ. So if you're submitting to him, who am I to say that you're not? Now, if it's Scripture, I can show you in the Bible, if you're disobeying Scripture, you're not submitting to Christ. But concerning eating meat and not eating meat, you know, things that the Bible doesn't say, things that aren't commands in Scripture, who am I to judge you and who are you to judge me? We both belong to Christ. So the first point is that Christ is the Lord of their consciences or their opinions. And then verse 2, weak Christians' consciences are more important. And I'm sorry, not verse 2, point 2. Weak Christians' consciences are more important than our complete freedom because, two, we must encourage our brothers, not cause them to disobey their consciences. You see this in verses 13 through 21. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. 
It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So in verse 13, because of these truths, we must not judge Christians any longer, but seek not to put stumbling blocks in front of weaker brothers. The weaker brother is the one who will follow your conscience, ignoring his own. So in other words, he believes it's sin to eat pecan pie, but you're like, oh, it's so good, it's so delicious, you need to eat it, you need to enjoy it. You know, why do you feel that way? And so you're literally, you've got like pecan pie, and you're like, hey, you need to try this. It's so delicious. It's wonderful. Heaven on earth, right? It's, you need to try. And, and so you're, you're peer pressuring. You're trying to get him or her to disobey his or her conscience. And so that is a stumbling block. So the weaker brother, the weaker brother is not the one who doesn't have the extra stipulations. The weaker brother is the one who will ignore his own conscience and follow you. So what do we do in situations when someone's conscience encourages him to have a stricter standard than Scripture? So we don't try to get them to go against their conscience. Instead, we try to say, well, what does the Bible teach? What does the Bible teach on that subject? Or where did you get that in Scripture? Why do you believe this? And so you get them to think and wrestle with what the Bible teaches on this issue So we try to inform their consciences with Scripture so they no longer feel guilty for eating meat or eating pecan pie. And if they no longer feel guilty, their conscience is better informed, and now they're enjoying their freedom in Christ, and then you can offer them and try to get them to eat something that they would be in favor of eating. Y'all know what I'm talking about. There has to be things when you were a kid that you felt bad for that you thought were sins, but you grow up and you realize they aren't really. I assume. It's fascinating. When, it, when we were in youth group, <coughs> which it was an arbitrary standard, but when I was in youth group, um, we were told that it's sin to listen to secular music. So all you heathens out there listening to Elvis are going to hell. You know, and Elvis, I realize he was evil incarnate when he came out, but he is so tame compared to what's out there today. Oh, my goodness. You know, Guns N' Roses, when I was a kid, Guns N' Roses were the devil. They were so evil. And now they look like choir boys compared to all the stuff that's out there. Like, it's just Guns N', you know, it's just it's fascinating. Pop culture is in a downward spiral, and it has been for years, right? Um, but we would literally burn our CDs in fires. We would bring our secular music and burn it in a fire. We were told no secular music, no watching R-rated movies. But then y'all know what happened? The, the Passion of the Christ came out. What, what, what rating is it? R. And you know what we did? We rented a movie theater out, and the whole church went. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? So, um, look, I realize it's easier to set standards like that, um, but eventually a teenager is going to say, wait a second, this PG-13 movie is so much worse than this R-rated Passion of the Christ. And they're going to say, and that is in no, comp- like this secular music is not bad. It has nothing bad. It's all positive. Like, think of all the Christmas music that y'all just listened to. A lot of it has nothing to do with Christ. It's not evil to listen to it. It's very positive. 
I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Oh, burn that CD in the fire. Right? I mean, you know, it's just these extra standards. So we would burn them, and you know what we would do the next week? Go buy more. Because it's arbitrary standards. And look, if your conscience will not allow you to listen to secular music, that's fine. That's fine. But when you start forcing and start literally teaching in Sunday school, y'all are heathens for listening to this music. Well, then you've added a standard, and you're actually the weaker brother. You think you're the stronger brother. But if you can't listen to White Christmas or a secular Christmas song that has nothing wicked in it, how is that holier than someone who listens to it? You're more free than you realize. You know, due to freedom in Christ, we're free from the commandments of men. And notice what he says. Nothing is unclean in and of itself. Yet it is unclean for the Christian who believes it's unclean. So think about that for a second. Nothing is unclean in and of itself. You know, this is why I have no issues celebrating Christmas with Christmas trees and Easter with Easter eggs. Because of this verse right here and others like it. Right? I mean, you look, at, look here. So Christmas trees arguably have pagan origins. Arguably, I say arguably because, you know, Martin Luther may have been one of the first Christians who ever brought a Christmas, brought a tree in and decorated it. Um, but Easter eggs definitely have a pagan origin. But the reason why I have no problem using eggs at Easter is because who created the egg? Who owns the egg before some pagan laid a hold of it? God does, right? Nothing is unclean in and of itself. Who owns the trees? God does. So if I want to take a tree and bring it in my house and put stuff on it, does that somehow make it pagan? God owns the trees. It's similar to October 31st. Just because the devil says, I own a day, doesn't mean it's true. I refuse to act like the devil owns October 31st. Now look, if, you, if your conscience won't let you do things on that day, don't do it. But I'm gonna, I, I enjoy my freedom in Christ. The devil doesn't own October 31st. God does. God owned it before the devil laid hold on it, and he still owns it today, and he turned it, he'll own it. <coughs> and so the question is, if something's inherently sinful, it's got to be sinful on different days. In other words... If I'm against um, decorating a tree on Christmas, then I've got to be against decorating trees for 365 days a year. If I'm against hunting, hiding and hunting Easter eggs around Easter, then I've got to be against hiding and hunting Easter eggs 365 days a year because I'm saying that is inherently sinful. doesn't matter when you do it, it is evil. Or if I'm against dressing up and going and knocking on someone's door for candy, you have to be against dressing up 365 days a year to be consistent. Why would October 31st all of a sudden make it sinful? And so, but it's because of this verse and others like it. Paul says nothing is unclean in and of itself. And again, he's not talking about things that are inherently sinful from the Scripture. Like, um, you know, I mentioned R-rated movies earlier. 
I think it's inherently sinful to see someone who is not your spouse in a sexual situation. So anything with nudity in it, anything with sexuality in it, is sinful for you to watch. You're actually sinning by seeing it with your eyes. And why do I believe that? Because the Bible says it's about loving your neighbor. You do not love your neighbor if, you're, if you are viewing someone in a sexual situation that is not your spouse. It's impossible. It's impossible. However, there are situations where you do need to see people who are not your spouse. I mean, y'all been to the doctor. Doctors and nurses, they see people nude all the time. If you have children, you've changed a lot of diapers and given a lot of baths. Loving your neighbor. And I say all that to say, like, I, if y'all don't know this, I, I've got a podcast that I've done for five years with a buddy of mine in Cookville, and we watch movies and talk about Scripture and how the gospel is better. But we draw the line at any sexuality in the movies. We draw the line there, and then also with crude jesting, because there, there's a point where where they're trying to get you to laugh at something evil. <coughs> In other words, laughing at evil things is participating in the sin. And so it's not about it's not about a certain rating which secular people are rating things. It's about what they actually possess in those movies and TV shows. But if your brother believes that, in verse 15, if your brother believes that eating meat is a sin, and he looks up to you, he wants to follow your example, and you know his conscience is weak, but you nevertheless encourage him to disobey his conscience, you destroy your brother. Well, how so? You encourage him to sin, and sin destroys us. So we should not love our freedom in Christ so much. So, for example, if you believe that watching an R-rated movie is sin. Like, for example, you believe it's sin to watch The Passion of the Christ. I would not invite you to go watch The Passion of the Christ. Because I don't want you to violate your conscience. I don't want you to sin against your conscience. But when I'm not around you, I'm going to watch what I want to watch. You know, if it doesn't violate Scripture, if it doesn't violate my conscience... I'm going to watch according to my conscience. In verse 16, if we encourage other Christians to disobey their consciences, which is sin, then our freedom in Christ will be spoken of as evil because we're trying to get other Christians to sin. You know, the gospel in verse 17 is free and it is freeing. We're freeing Christ from the commandments of men. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need to emphasize. So instead of trying to get our brothers to go along with our consciences, we need to emphasize righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because in verse 18 through 19, whoever serves Christ is accepted by God and approved by men. Therefore, since all Christians are accepted by God and approved by men, we need to seek to build up, not tear down. We need mutual upbuilding and edifying one another with Scripture. We must not, in verse 20 through 21, for the sake of enjoying our freedom in Christ, harm our brothers and sisters in Christ. We do not want to destroy God's 
work. And so if I know that you are convicted concerning um, Easter eggs at Easter, I'm not going to go to you and try to get you to participate. Or if you're convicted about uh, Christmas trees at Christmas, I'm not going to try to get you to participate. Now I might say, well, what does Scripture say? You know, I might encourage you to think more, you know, think more scripturally about it. But I'm not going to try to get you to go against your conscience. We must not do anything that we know may encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ to stumble. And finally, verse 22 through 23, notice what he says, and this is, this is a peculiar statement. But he says, whatever does not come from faith is sin. In verse 22 he says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. <clears throat> for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So in other words, if you believe eating meat is sinful, you should not eat meat. And if you do, you are literally sinning, even though it's not a sin to eat meat according to the Bible. But if your conscience tells you it is, and you disobey your conscience, you actually still sin against God who has given your conscience. And look, there are some, some instances as well where our consciences know us better than we know ourselves. For example, the man who is saved out of alcoholism, what has driven him, what has driven him to say, I'm not going to buy, you know, I'm not, I don't want to go to a restaurant that serves alcohol, oftentimes what drives a person to do that is their conscience has convicted them because they, if they get around alcohol, it, there's a possibility that they go back into it. So they don't want to be around it. They don't want anything to do with it. And so their conscience knows them better than they know themselves. And I would say that, that, that is a, a wise thing. Your conscience can protect you a lot. Like if you feel bad for doing something, don't do it. If you feel convicted, y'all know what I'm talking about. You've got that pricking of your heart. You know, um, when, when I was saved, we were ignorance on fire. I was 17 years old. We used to go to... We would trespass. We didn't realize it was trespassing because we were ignorant teenagers. Um, <clears throat> we would go to something called the big house. I realize that's prison, but it was actually a big house. <laughs> it was a mansion in Sparta. Somebody owned it, somebody's land, but we would go and climb up. We, we were ghost hunting. We would climb up in it, and there was a big pentagram in the attic, where people with Satanists would come and do their rituals, which of course was foolish and stupid, but we were very zealous and ignorant. Well, a buddy of mine, who was not a Christian, you know, he made this statement that he would participate, if we would participate in a seance with him, he would come to church with us. So if we would participate in this pagan ritual, this Satanist ritual with him, he would come with us. <clears throat> now, we did not know a lot of Scripture. We knew some. And we were reading the Bible a lot, but there was a lot we didn't know. We knew enough to know that that was not a conscience issue. 
that we could not participate in something sinful, inherently sinful, just in the name of getting somebody to come to church with us. And so we need to realize that what we're talking about is just issues of conscience, things that are beyond the Bible. In verse 22, the faith that the weaker brother and stronger brother have, they need to keep between them and God. For he is blessed who has no reason to judge himself for what he approves. Whether approving of something your conscience tells you is wrong, or approving of your freedom in Christ at the, at the expense of your brother's obedience. Either one is the path to sin and misery. Rather, we should seek to please God above all. In verse 23, the one who doubts his conscience is condemned if he eats meat because he's going against what he believes. He's going against his faith. And whatever does not come from faith is sin. So our consciences, as informed by the Holy Spirit with Scripture, hold us accountable to what we believe. And when we go against our consciences, we sin. Again, this is how God has determined to guide His people. He gives you the Holy Spirit who informs your conscience with Scripture and the conviction of your conscience is synonymous with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So Christians, in conclusion, as our musicians come, will you enjoy your freedom in Christ, not adding restrictions to yourself more than the Bible does? And mature Christians, will you love your weaker brothers and sisters are you willing to limit your freedom around them or near them so as not to put a stumbling block in front of them? Let's all stand and sing together and respond to God may be leaving here this morning. I see the Savior, I see His grace is amazing. I persevere to the end. I'm all in. It's sound